What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 84 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with New York Times bestselling author and leadership consultant, Cy Wakeman. First of all, thank you so much for hanging out today. I always appreciate any time that you want to share from your day with my show, Adult Education. This is a fun project for me that I do out of the love of conversation and learning. If you want to support me or the show, the best way to do that is simply to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on right now. I know most of you listen via Spotify. I cannot stress enough how important those five stars are. If you're using a platform that allows a review, please share a few words if you have a second. That also really helps the podcast algorithm gods know which shows they want to introduce to new listeners. Now, normally when I do an interview, I kind of sit on it for a week or two as I edit it and just make sure that I think it sounds good. It's worthy for all of you to hear. But this conversation I literally had yesterday. Yes, yesterday afternoon. It was so good that I just had to share it with you right away. I had the chance to speak with Cy Wakeman. She's a drama researcher, leadership consultant, and New York Times bestselling author. If you work for a major company, there's even a really good chance that Cy has been hired to speak uh, for you and your coworkers in your office. She's been working in that circuit for years. Now, what I really found enjoyable about Sai is that she's um, she's realistic. Is that the word? Yeah, I think that works for me. So many people in a position like hers push an agenda or some kind of code that people have to do X, Y, Z if they want to be happy or successful. For most of us, that's just not realistic. But Sai has a different plan. She wants us to look around at the things we do have and the experiences in our lives and find the happiness that's already there. It's a lot of mindset training and learning how to focus on gratitude. In the conversation, we talk about something she has in her latest book that she calls Enough is Enough. It's about understanding that you are enough, and sometimes the things you have are enough. When we're constantly focused on the next big thing, then we fail to understand that what we have right at our fingertips is, well, already enough to make us perfectly happy. Sai's book is called Life's Messy, Live Happy. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. I wish I had had more time with her because this conversation was so much fun. I hope you enjoy it. Now, before we jump into it, just a quick reminder to hit that five-star rating for adult education if you wouldn't mind, and please leave a few words in the review section if there is one on the platform you're listening on. And don't forget, we're on social media. You can find us at Adult Education Podcast on Instagram. Hello, how are you? I am good. How are you doing today? I'm well, Jeff. Thank you for having me on your show on podcast. Oh my gosh, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for making some time for me. It's uh, it's not often I have someone that uh, is called a guru on this show. Um, also, a secret weapon I see in your bio. I see that in there as well. So a guru and a secret weapon. Those two things seem kind of contrasting in some ways to me. Yeah, but Contrasting or egotistical. I'm not sure, but yeah. <laughs> I just, I always wonder like how it feels when people, I mean, anytime you can receive praise from someone for the work you're doing, it always feels good because it means, it means you're doing something right. People are listening. They believe in what you're doing. And that's, it's a very good feeling to understand that. But when they start throwing words like guru and secret weapon around there, it's got to feel kind of awkward a little bit, right? It is very awkward. And add to that, I'm a total introvert. So I have this accidental career of like being in the public guy. So I'm... I'm the the girl who would rather be hiking in the Baja than, <laughs> than doing my job. 
It's kind of funny. I'm the same way. I got into radio primarily because I loved music, and I just love the idea of sharing music with people and introducing songs to folks that maybe hadn't heard them before. And I'm a total introvert, too. I tell everybody I'm a house cat. Like, the pandemic was my Super Bowl. Like, being able to stay home all day, every day, I was like, I will win this game. No one will beat me. Uh, but it, but it's yeah. funny to be in a public position like a radio broadcaster because it's totally not consistent with the idea of an introvert. <laughs> totally right we end up in these places no the pandemic hit and i'm like wait a minute i get to stay home like and not leave i'm like i feel blissful everybody else is losing their minds so <laughs> you've lived kind of a dream of mine and, and maybe at the time it wasn't necessarily a dream for you it kind of came out of hardship but i was reading through your book and the idea of just like packing up and living in a tent in the middle of nowhere that idea has crossed my mind so many times, like just sell everything. I'm going off the grid for a little while just to live and just be my own person and to stay away. Like I, I was actually kind of jealous reading your story. Happiest time of my life ever in a time of hardship. I interviewed a guy on my podcast who follows his curiosity. He sold everything and like he'll just be interacting with people somewhere in the world and they'll mention something and he'll follow that curiosity. He just follows his curiosity and his life is amazing. He's just like, oh, I'll go check that out. So I didn't quite get down to who's funding it, but I would like to know that. That's always the trick. Like all those things sound really fascinating, but everything does take some money. And even if it's not yeah. like a lot of money up front for myself, I still have college loans I'm paying off. So maybe I don't need money to do the task, but I got to pay the bills back home somehow too. <laughs> you know, and we got kids and we got, but yeah, I talked to another guy and he was all about following your bliss. And then if you read between the lines of his story, he's like, and so I went home to take care of my parents. And I decided that would be the best way to spend my, I'm like, oh, they died and you inherited a ton of, I'm like, oh, got it. I'm like, <laughs> there it is. There's always some fine print on some of these, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But good for them. Like, yeah. Right? I mean, if they're happy, that's the ultimate goal here. And that's kind of what we're talking about with this book that you just put out called Life's Messy, Live Happy. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. I want to talk about that title in just a second, but I'm glad you mentioned your podcast because I was listening to a recent episode, just trying to get a feel for what I was getting myself into because I, I I didn't know anything about you prior to getting my hands on this book. So it's been a pleasure to learn more about you. But one of your more recent episodes, you were talking about letting go of things that weren't working. You know, why why do people feel so compelled to hold on to things? And I think a lot of this was based around uh, like typical office habits and how people have been really slow to adapt to this new office world or this new work world that we have. I just thought that was a very fascinating conversation. You know, in the book, I don't tell people how to live. I tell people how I've lived and what some of the, the big breakthroughs were for me. And a lot of us try and control the external world and keep it the same. I think a better approach is to learn the art of letting go. And so many of us don't welcome what's coming our way. And we're not good at letting go and grieving what's no longer serving us. And, you know, the Buddhists talk about the law of impermanence, right? Realizing that, that life is impermanent. But I think we know the realities of life. We just don't get good at the skills needed to live happy while in the reality of life. And I was just talking to somebody else and she's like, you know, so can you like teach me how to like organize your closet? And I go, I think you're starting on the wrong end of this. I think you need to get good at letting go. And then the 10 outfits that remain will be pretty easy to organize. And um, 
you know, we're not good at letting go because right after the letting go, for many of us is some grieving and we're not that good at grieving. We're not that we hang on so we don't have to feel the feelings of heartbreak, which is the distance between loving big and letting go or being comfortable and now not being comfortable. It's like why everybody has that one pair of jeans they wore in college still sitting in their closet thinking one day they'll wear them again. (laughs) Yeah, we're so bad at letting go, which is also about differing happiness, right? Because we're like, I'll be happy when I can get back into those jeans instead of why not just be happy now with or without the ability to fit into that size of jeans. And I think we get into these traps where I don't need to teach people how to be happy. I like to point out some skills they could um, master that will lead to happiness, but also some ways in which they interfere with their own happiness, that if you just remove those, your natural state is pretty content, pretty happy, regardless of your circumstances. Circumstances come and go. They don't need to take your um, state of contentment off center. We can be pretty content and super sad about what's happening in the world. We can, like people think they're mutually exclusive. That's one of the things I teach people is the word and opens up a lot of options. If I'm struggling with like my partnership at home, that doesn't mean I have to walk through the world without happiness. I can say, I have a lot of things right now. I'm thrilled my son got into the college he wanted and I'm um, sad about a misunderstanding with my spouse and I'm grateful for, you know, the privilege I've been given. Like people want to boil life down to a single experience. People want to boil, you know, experience down to a single like feeling. And the word and this one of the examples I give people in the book, the word and opens you back up to the tragically beautiful, messy part of life. And the better we are at all of it, being true at the same time, that's a key skill. Um, the, the more content we'll, we'll live. You use the word content in the title of the book and also just in this conversation. That's an interesting word to use uh, because I feel like the connotation might not necessarily be the same as happy. Like I think the word content can be taken different ways. Why do you choose that word in particular? It was the way I clarified happiness. So I was known for years to say, you know, when when stuff happened, instead of, you know, S-H-I-T happens, I was like, you know, life's messy. Let's live happy. Um, And so that became the title of the book because people knew me with that mantra. But so many times people outsource their happiness. They see it as just a feeling and it's a feeling that comes along with if the world presents as I prefer. Like, do I approve of the world and what just happened in my life today? And so it's almost a judgment of the world or it's a feeling which is is fleeting and it's on the pleasure pain spectrum. I clarify the word happiness as about my general state of contentment with reality as it is. I see reality as it really is. And I'm able to live in an imperfect reality while maintaining a sense of well-being and maintaining an open heart and an open mind. Um, I'm not jerked around by what happens externally. Like they said something I found mean, so I closed my heart. There's a whole freedom that comes when somebody can say something mean and I keep my heart open Mm. and realize that, you know, they can say that I don't need to answer to it. Like there are so many times that the cycle of everyone closing down hearts and minds 
happens in reaction to one another. And, and then we feel cheated out of life. We feel like we're not that alive. And we're not alive when our minds and hearts are closed. The aliveness, the energy is out there in the mass when we're just curious about all of it. I keep going back to this thing you were just saying a second ago about and. And I'm reminded of a conversation I had with my wife. We were kind of talking about things that have been happening globally that have been kind of heartbreaking on many levels to see. And I forget what she said to me. And I didn't say that I didn't care because I do care. I feel for those people that are going through so many tough times, say, over in Ukraine. And they're really you know, fighting for their lives in a lot of situations. But at the same time, my day also has its own things going on here. So there is an element of, yes, there is that. And I still have to live my life in this element. So I, I it was, I was trying to convey to her that I'm not insensitive towards it. I don't not care about those people. Like it's obviously a heartbreaking thing, but I also still have a job and I have a daughter and I have a family and I have all these different things that I have to be thinking of. So this, this word of, and I think is such an important thing. It's so important. And you know, the book isn't written like, here's how to live your life. Sure. It's like, here's the vignette, like consider the word and, and the power of and, and I think what happens so many times is that we haven't yet mastered multiple things can be true at the same time. Whenever we suspect that what we believe is a little challenged, we like to double down this thing called cognitive dissonance, which is uncomfortable. We like to double down in what's like really true. And that separates us out instead of us looking at how multiple things can be true at the same time. And it helps open your mind and your heart up so you actually can do something. So let's say that my first impression of you, and it's not for viewers that are listeners that can't see my view, but let's say your, your office is a mess behind you and it is not. That's why I've got a background here, Cy. <laughs> <laughs> my first impression is like, oh my God, this guy like doesn't care about his stuff. And I start to close down. I use the word and I'm like, and he works a lot of hours trying to bring good education to people. And he volunteers a lot and doesn't take time to clean his office. He's out working with kids. And what it does is instead of shutting me away from you, it brings me closer. It brings me to the whole like complexity. And your Ukraine example is, is um, a tricky one for a lot of people because, or like, let's say I have a, um, a family member who is grieving the loss of a son and she was looking out the window at my house and she found herself unexpectedly joyful while she's watching these little kids fish from the dock. And I looked over cause she started to smile and laugh and then she collected herself. She like got sad again. And I asked her about it and she felt like being happy kind of dishonored her son and, and her identity as a grieving mom. Now here's the irony. What she was smiling at was little kids fishing on the dock. The person who taught them to fish was her son that passed. She was actually looking at the joyfulness he brought to people's lives, but then had to remember to be sad. And I see us do that with events happening in the world, but the only way I can be of service is if I don't go down with them. And what I mean by that, like, let's say that I'm having chest pains. I go to the emergency room and the doctor comes out like, Sai, what's going on? I'm like, I have crushing chest pains. And the doctor goes, oh my gosh, me too. And I'm like, what? And, and here she's like, does it go down your left arm? I'm like, yeah. And here she's like, me too. All of a sudden, like, I'm not gonna get medical help. Like we both are in the same predicament. Sure. So if I can say, I can empathize with that and I can honor 
what freedom looks like by talking to my kids about um, the right to vote and the gratitude we have for living in a safe place. And then think about given my freedom, how can I help them? Now I'm in a position to help, but when I'm just in sympathy with them, I'm not in a position to help. There was an interesting part there in the book too, where you talk about stress and suffering and you say they're self-imposed. And I understand where your head is at with that, but I kept coming back to this example of like someone driving to work and getting hit by a car. Like, okay, well, you might not think that's self-imposed. Like you might not think that you had anything to do with that, but I guess it's more of a mindset is what you're getting at. It's, it's a mindset. I'm not trying to blame the victim for being in a car accident <laughs> sure, or sure, saying, sure. you know, you should be happy about your house being bumped. The difference is pain is inevitable. Like there are just moments that like, you're like, wow, that's not what I wanted this morning, you know, for my car to get hit and I don't have the, the resources easily to get it fixed. Pain's inevitable. The suffering part is what we add to the pain with our story. So let's say my car gets hit and um, that's painful, but I'm adding to it the story, like my life sucks and this always happens to me and people are out to get me and you know everybody else has it better than me. That's me taking it and piling on sure. to it. And that piling on is what's creating my suffering um, not that I'm not going to have pain, but that suffering part is optional. And what I see happen all the time, this just happened to me. I was in a yoga retreat class and a woman shared while we were sharing in class that she was a new author. And she talked a lot about how hard it was to get her book published and how hard it was. And, and she was really suffering with nobody helps her. I was sitting right beside her and more than once I interrupted. I go, I'm a New York Times bestseller. Like I can, have you, and, and she was just like, I don't know if you know about publishing, but the, and <laughs> she was so busy suffering. I literally was sitting next to her in yoga class, ready to introduce her to my agent because her book sounds awesome. And I couldn't get the word in edgewise. And so, so often our story keeps us from seeing all the visible and invisible help around us. Um, and that's what suffering does. It cuts us off from the world, um, but there is pain. You just don't need to prolong it. It's so funny because I think I think most people can say they've fallen into a trap like that at some point in time. You know, even the most mindful person can probably look back to a time where they thought the world was against them in some aspect of life. I just went through something talking to a friend of mine. I was having a guy's weekend with some friends I haven't seen really in years and uh, talking to one of them about my career path and how I'm not really sure where it's going and I might have to shift into something different and just in that casual conversation, he did a very similar thing like you. He works in the tech world and he's dropped, you know, the name Spotify and Apple Music and a couple of, and I was just like, I'm kind of blowing it off at first. And I stop and I think, wait a second, my friend is actively trying to help me right now. He's actively trying to tell me, I work in the tech world. I know some people at these places. Maybe I can introduce you and see where it goes from there. And it's, unless you're in the mindset to have your ears open for that, it, it's really hard to hear it. And so many people, not only is that hard to hear it, but then I have to make a decision. Do I want to give up the identity of poor me, I'm being outplaced, or I need to make a change in order to be like new me? And we all see this when relationships um, fail. During COVID, I went through a breakup of a marriage and people kept saying, you know, so you just got to get good with being single um, before you can be in a relationship. And I'm like, I've been single, I've been a single mom, I've traveled the world on my own, like I'm good with being single. 
And somebody said to me, you know, you have been single as you've been single and the one who was a victim and who was betrayed and you've been single and the woman who single-handedly raised four kids after she got screwed over. But have you ever been single and happy? Mm. And I'm like, dang, I would have to give up the shtick of I am the girl who got betrayed and just be the girl who happened to be single right now. There are so many things that we hold on to of past hurts that keep us from grabbing new adventures. Our hands are full. I'm glad so you, you said let that. Go of that actually transitions really well because, and I've done some research on this before with other authors that I've talked with, but the brain holds on to negativity so much stronger than it lets you hold on to positivity. And you talk about this in your book a little bit as well. The brain is kind of wired to focus on these negative emotions. And it's, it's so fascinating to me that it works that way. Like you would think just from the biological standpoint that you would, your brain would want you to be happy and want you to be satisfied. But in a sense, it wants you to be the most miserable bastard ever. <laughs> or at least as a side effect of keeping you safe, right? That. Sure. You know, if we go back to how we evolved, let's say we're all sitting around a campfire as prehistoric people. The only people that evolved were the ones who overreacted to every sound in the jungle. Okay, so like there's a sound and um, I don't react. Okay, if it's a mouse, but if it's a saber-toothed tiger, my gene pool doesn't continue. The only people who survived over time, if you think about evolutionary biology, were the overreactors, one. But our mind really does, and that's why I want people to understand how their mind works so they quit getting played by their ego. Your mind will take everything to the most negative, worst outcome, ever. And if you just believe in your own thinking, you'll get played by your ego. And I teach people to question your, their thinking. Is that actually true? And could there be other possibilities? Um, because we are wired to defend, keep ourselves safe, worst case scenario, catastrophize. Um, and the very thing we crave is connection with people, but we're wired to, um, you know, to, to seek separation. How are they different rather than how are we similar? At the end of the chapter on gratitude, you sort of list, like, I guess it's kind of a gratitude practice in a way, like things that you do to, to show your gratitude and to understand it. And one of the things that you put in there was recognize your privilege, let it humble you. And I just, it just stood out to me because I just think of, talk about a buzzword for like word of the year. That's privilege over the last couple of years. That word has come up a lot. And in so many ways, I think it's hard for people to understand that they may have privilege, you know, like for my, I'll take just myself as an example. When I started hearing that word popped around, I was like, man, people would say that I have privilege because the color of my skin, but like, do, but do I have privilege? Like I think about how hard I worked and how I'm still in debt from college and all these things. I'm like, am I really privileged in that? But then at the same time, you have to separate that and look at the other, like I was able to go to college. That's a huge privilege. I'm yeah. able to, yeah. you know, even though I have all that debt, I'm still able to have a roof over my head and have a wife and I have a wonderful little daughter, like all these things. And so the word privilege means so many things, but I don't think it's all the things that people automatically assume when they see it. So true. And somebody said, um, you know, when someone told them, um, you know, their success, they're like, I made good choices. And the person pointed out, you had good choices yes. available to you to make. Like, and I think our, you know, I talk a lot about ego in the book. And when somebody starts bringing up privilege, the ego jumps in to go, I've had hardships too. 
not the point. Can you just acknowledge that there were some barriers to success you didn't have to like overcome? And for me in the gratitude chapter, it was a radio interview. Um, someone called me up and it, it was a big deal at the time. It was before podcasts. It was like, I actually was gonna be on, you know, this live stream radio. And it was one of my books had just come out and um, she really wanted the, me to answer, like, how have you been successful? Like, what are the choices you've made? And how did you know to zig when other people zagged? And as I'm preparing for this interview, it just hit me like, I would have to revise history to actually play this part she wanted me to play. Like, oh, I had a business plan. I was so smart and I read the future and I did this and I did that. And it just didn't sit with me. What really happened is people had helped me out, both invisible and visible help. And even in the midst of my failure, somebody gave me a second chance. And, you know, I mean, my story just wasn't all that appealing to an audience that wanted to replicate it because so much of my success had to do with, but for the grace of God, go I, like other people's contribution to that. And so it wasn't a very exciting interview, but it certainly helped me realize that so much of what I have today um, in my life, not just possessions of having, but so much the people in my life have been through grace and mercy and tolerance and kind of undeserved privilege. And so I've used the, uh, my gratitude to start recognizing what is in my life and on my gratitude list that um, I didn't single-handedly create and to really put a star by those because that's my privilege is um, what came to me that I didn't create. And then I like to have generosity come out of that privilege. What can I give to others? And probably the biggest privilege in my life, the biggest act of grace when I was little, I loved to read. I was from a big family. We didn't have a lot of books. I went to the library. I felt like I discovered Mecca and I was so excited. I was a really good reader. And I went to check out a pile of books because I wouldn't be back for a week. And they're like, you can only check out two books. And I felt like they were telling me I could only eat two meals in the next like week. So I did, you know, that was all I could get. But over 10, the librarians came to me and they said, Cy, Cindy at the time, we've watched you take care of these books and we're gonna change a rule for you. We're gonna let you check out five books, one for each day of the week. And when I was looking back, when I hit the New York Times bestselling list and it was just like gratitude, like the librarian who broke the rule, you know, talk about a privilege I didn't ask for. I didn't even know to ask for it. I made a star by that. That was a privilege given to me. Somebody's grace and mercy set me up for success. I then was asked to be on a board and I don't like boards. I'll do anything, but don't put me on a board. Like I don't want to listen to financials all day. And the woman said, wait, hear me out. This, this organization is called Dibs and it's delivering infinite bookshelves. It makes sure that every kid gets a book every single night, five nights a week. And I went, mind blown. And of course I said, yes, because the coolest thing with gratitude is if it feel, fuels your generosity. Why is this on my list? And how can I get this very thing on somebody else's gratitude list? Mm. And so how do I take what I was given and give it to others? And that practice has just been um, really life-giving to me. 
I started thinking more about gratitude a few years ago, and and it really is so life changing. Just to look for those little things that happen every day, or even going back a little bit to think about the things that have happened to you that have set you on a positive path. It really it helps so much to put everything into perspective. You know, it really it yeah. really does. I think it's such a wonderful tool. Um, I know I only have you for a few more minutes, but there's something else I wanted to touch on. There's uh, something you put in here called "Enough is Enough," and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Oh my gosh. So there's a part of the book that I just talk about the power of words. And I started at a retreat. Somebody said, pick a word and walk with it all day and just see what it has to teach you. And so I got obsessed with words, but there was one word that I didn't pick. It like followed me around until it just kept showing up in my life until I picked it. And that word was enough. And when the pandemic first hit, I'm in the speaking business. Our business just tanked. Oh, gosh, yeah. So my team, my team got on a call and they're like, "Side, don't worry. We're hustling. We're pivoting. We're like, we'll keep, we'll meet our sales numbers. I'm like, I think I shocked them. I shocked me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's tone deaf right now, folks. Let's just identify what's enough. And that word just like popped up. I've never said that word when it comes to like my sales goals. Let's just pick enough. What is that number we have to meet? And then how? Do, what is it just enough to keep everybody employed to just get through this time peacefully? And at that time, I had um, a couple of relatives living with me who had a new baby. And so I didn't think more about that word. And the baby um, was born during COVID and they weren't going in every week like you do with a new baby. And the baby started to lose weight. And these parents were like blaming themselves. And I went out for a walk. And the first thing on the podcast was about a book called Good Enough Parenting. I'm like, enough. And so I went back to them and I said, you know, maybe you can just forgive yourselves. Maybe just be good enough. That word just kept knocking at my door. And where it landed with me is um, as a friend of mine passed during the time of COVID, she passed of cancer. Everyone said that I'm so brave and I'm so confident. And I'm like, I don't feel brave or confident as I go out on stage or as I think about living without her. What helps me go out and do what I do? And it dawned on me that in her eyes, I'd always been enough. Like if I went out and screwed my life up again, she's like, oh, you're just doing more research. Like she loved me in a way I was confident I was enough. And that hit me and I had to look at my life and say, have I loved other people in a way that they're confident that they're enough? And it changed my life. I started living in a way with my kids and everybody else. I loved them, but I wasn't convincing them that no matter what happens, you're enough, you're, you're good enough. With Kathy and saying goodbye, I'm like, it, it, it eased me because it's like, we've had enough time. We've talked enough, like we've just, we've had enough. We don't have to go for perfect. And that whole word just shapes me so I can loosen up around the edges and just really love what's in front of me is the word enough. I, I really appreciate that mindset and how you've used the word enough because I've tried to use that in my life and, and with other people. In fact, I just had a conversation with my boss uh, recently. We were kind of talking about you know what the next step is in the career. And, and I was that person that was always driven to take the next jump and always trying to go the next level higher. But recently in the last couple of years, and maybe even after I had my daughter, she's 16 month old, uh, months old now, um, I, just, I just had this thought of I, I do want to be successful. I want to be able to care for my family. I want to be able to live the life that we want to live. 
but I really just want to work with good people. Like I don't need to have the the corner office on the 35th floor. I don't need to, to have all of these accolades. I just need to have a good group of people that I'm around and enough to live the life that I want. And that's fine. I'm that's enough for me. And Jeff, that is the key. One of the keys to happiness is asking for yourself, what is enough? What is it I want to curate in my life? What life do I want to design? Because so many of us, I talk about this in the book too, we're so flattered by being chosen. We never do the due diligence of seeing if we want that promotion. And so it's so easy for people to talk to you about your next step and you get performing like, I want to be chosen without ever asking yourself, do I want that position? And somebody asked me why I married my first husband. I'm like, well, because he asked. Now it wasn't a waste of a marriage, but it was like, I never asked me if I wanted to marry him. I just was so glad to be chosen. And so many of us live life externally focused. Like, well, of course we want that next job. I would ask you yourself if you want that next job. Well, Cy, this has been an absolute pleasure. I wish I had, you know, another hour and a half with you. This has been great. Sometimes filling 30 minutes can be tough. <laughs> with you, I'm like, wait, I didn't I get bet. through all my questions. <laughs> but Cy, this is great. Uh, Cy Wakeman, the book is Life's Messy, Live Happy. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. Where can people go if they want to find out more about you or the book? I'm on um, social media all over the place at Cy Wakeman, C-Y-W-A-K-E-M-A-N. Um, also on LinkedIn and the book launches uh, March 29th, um, the day we're taping this. So any major bookseller, any local cool indie bookstore that you want to support, it's uh, it's yours for the, the offering. It's an audio and Kindle as well. So enjoy. I love it. Thank you so much, Sai. I appreciate you. You bet. Appreciate you back, Jeff. Thank you. I'd like to give a big thank you to Cy Wakeman for her time today. What a fun conversation that was. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope that I'll get to talk to her again sometime in the future because that was fantastic. Her book, Life's Messy, Live Happy, Things Don't Have to Be Perfect for You to Be Content is out now and you can find it wherever you find your books. And thank you to all of you for sharing some of your day with me. I really do appreciate you. Until next time, be well. Be well.